The financial crisis of 2008 was a disruptive event and devastating for many people, both in our country, the United States, and around the world. And one of the causes was inside of the housing industry. And we can look at a couple of definitions to make this point and better understand it. Now, it involves several of these components. One of the components is a mortgage, and a mortgage is a loan that a borrower gets, and they use that loan to purchase real estate. Now, a subprime mortgage is a risky loan, and it's usually made to somebody with a low credit score, and usually the income that they have isn't quite enough to get a conventional mortgage, but some subprime borrowers are more likely to default on their mortgages. That means they're not going to be able to make payments on those mortgages. Now, what we have next is called a mortgage-backed security. Now, a mortgage-backed security is they take a bunch of loans and they bundle them together, a bunch of mortgages, and they bundle them together. And when they bundle them together and you throw in some subprime ones, the likelihood that they will default at the same time is pretty low. So the risk in buying these is low. And guess what? When you put these subprime mortgages inside and mix them together with regular mortgages, it gets them a higher grade from a rating agency, specifically Standards and Poor's and Moody's. So now we've got these sort of, I guess you could say, bad grades mixed in with good grades, and then the teacher gives you a good grade. Now, we have something else called collateralized debt obligation, or a CDO. And a CDO is a bundle of these mortgages in their back securities. Yes, a bundle of bundles of mortgages. And they also had something called a CDO squared, which was bundles of bundles of bundles of mortgages. Now that got really complicated and not a really a whole lot of people really understood what they were. But anyway, they got rated as safe. And then what you had here, you had a credit default swap. And this is an insurance policy, and that insurance policy comes along and it pays off anything that defaulted inside of a CDO. Now, they also had what was called a synthetic CDO. Now, a synthetic CDO was made up of insurance payments from a credit default swap on a CDO made up of MBSs. Now, I didn't really understand that that too much, and a lot of people who were, did the buying and selling of them didn't really understand all that either. And then what happens? Now, banks began to give out these mortgages who couldn't afford them. And then the banks put all of these mortgages and all these IOUs into bonds, and other securities, and then they sold them to investors. And those investors 
were investing in pensions and hedge funds. And they were telling people, hey, these investments are safe. Sort of like getting a bag of groceries and saying, hey, go cook Thanksgiving dinner. But you don't know inside of that bag, you may have a turkey, you may have sweet potatoes, but then you have at the bottom bananas that have been rotten. And you don't know that. And now you don't necessarily have the safest of Thanksgiving dinners. So now a lot of these mortgages and IOUs and securities couldn't get paid. And then they began to drop in values. And those drops in values generated huge losses for the financial institutions. Some of them went under. Some of them stopped lending money. The financial system grounded to a halt. Homeowners lost jobs, stopped paying their mortgages, caused a whole lot of losses. So people are losing. But there were some people out there who bet against the market. In fact, they bet that this would happen, that all of these bad securities would all default. And it's called shorting the market. So you short something, you hope to buy low and sell high, but first you sell believing that the value would go down, hoping to buy later low, and it's a security that you're betting that it's going to decrease in value. And when you bet that something is going to decrease in value, you are hoping that it would fail. Now, in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey ran a savings and loans company and it was his desire to provide opportunity for people to buy a home that they could afford, that they could live in, and that they would build a family. And that home was an investment for them. And George Bailey did get himself into some sort of financial trouble. And then we all know that he was prepared to kill himself but he saw an angel saved the angel saw his life in reverse and then at the end it's a wonderful life what is our story about money here's some quotes too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like that was by will rogers a wise person should have money in their head but not in their heart that was by jonathan swift wealth consists not having in great possessions but in having few wants by epicetus and frugality includes all the other virtues. And Cicero said that. Seth Godin said money is a story. Dave Ramsey said money is neutral. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. What do you think about money? What do you think Judas thought about money? Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a man of faith. I'm driven by curiosity and making efforts to be empathetic and compassionate. I'm here today to have a conversation with you about the past, the present, the future, and with the hope that we all of us will leave here today ready to listen. Listen with our hearts and bring forth the contribution we wish to make at a local, national, and global level. Today, I'm continuing to look at the music of Lady Gaga and the leadership lessons we can learn from it. And today, the song I'm looking at is Judas.
Judas was a song that Lady Gaga wrote and she recorded for her second album, Born This Way. And that came out in 2011. Specifically, the album came out on April 15th. And Judas was the second single from the album. And her version of it was about a woman in love with a man who betrayed her. And she was looking at this betrayal and it haunted her. And she was talking about the negative parts of her life that she wanted to escape. And she further talked about that the song was also about honoring the inner darkness in order to bring oneself into the art. Now, she received some positive, positive, positive reviews from critics, but there were religious groups who took this song poorly and were upset by it. But reviewers really enjoyed the song, and she sung the song and performed it at many different award ceremonies throughout the year. The video that was formed in 2011 had Norman Reedus from it. If you remember Walking Dead, Norman Reedus is in The Walking Dead, and he's in that video, and he plays Judas Iscariot, and Gaga plays Mary Magdalene. And the Catholic League condemned Lady Gaga for this video and the use of her religious imagery in the video and her role in the video. But the video was nominated for two awards at the 2011 MTV Music Video Awards. And she performed Judas on Saturday Night Live and Good Morning America. And she also performed it on the French version of The X Factor and The Ellen DeGeneres Show. But when we look in the Bible at Judas, Judas, who he was, and what Judas did, we can find some interesting things and lessons that we can apply to our leadership today and our lives today as employees, employers, leaders, people who are led, and people who want to lead. So it's said in one story, there's several stories in the scriptures about Judas, and we all know the 30 pieces of silver. But sort of to set that up, Jesus was at a dinner, and the dinner was with Lazarus, and Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and they're all at the table, and Mary Magdalene takes out a pint of expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus's feet and wipes her feet, wipes Jesus's feet with her hair, and then you smell the fragrance of the perfume that was in the home. Some people say that Mary Magdalene had a former life as a prostitute. So right there, you're wondering, where did this money come from that she got the expensive perfume for? Did it come from prostitution? And if it came from prostitution, here she was using it to wipe Jesus's feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. Think about that for a minute. Imagine that image. A woman, formerly a prostitute, wiping a man's feet with her hair. Now, also in this image, there's Judas. And Judas is at the table, and he says, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the author of the, the scripture says that 
Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, the poor, but because he was a thief and he was a keeper of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, here we go. We have Jesus who's going around and he's healing people. People call him the Messiah. And even today in history, Jesus is revered. Okay? People follow Jesus. And in his company, he has a prostitute. And in his upper echelon, in his core leadership team, he has a thief who is stealing from him. Why would Jesus keep a thief in his leadership group? Why would he have a prostitute honoring him? couple of things. Do you care more for money or for the people you are serving? And, and caring for money and people doesn't make you anti-money. See, we had two things going on here. Judas takes the response of having a negative attitude about money. It should have been given to the poor. But this was only a distraction. He didn't really want to give to the poor. He was stealing and he wanted to enrich himself. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus is allowing this woman to use her money any way that she wants to, to give without judgment. There's a lesson for a lot of people who are ministers or who are in the church right now. Let people use their money the way they wish to lose, use their money without judgment. Mary was not told how to use her money. Look who told people how to use their money. Judas. Judas was judgmental about how somebody used their money. So, if you are a spiritual person or a religious person, you have this judgmental attitude about how people spend their money. Ask yourself, whose side are you on in this story? You're on Judas's side. You're Judas. You are exhibiting Judas's tendencies. Because Judas was judgmental towards how someone used their money. Now, look again. Why would Judas steal from Jesus? Jesus put Judas into a leadership position. And when he traveled around with Jesus... He had status because everybody came to see Jesus. He had access to meals for free because people would bring Jesus and his disciples into their homes and they would be fed. So you have access to one of the greatest leaders and teachers in the entire world. You have your meals taken care of, but yet you're stealing. Where is that grounded at? 
you know, as a leader, we have to make decisions about money and we have to make decisions about budgeting and it is going to affect people. And we have to consider how that will affect people. A lot of times I hear the word positions, not people, and it's not personal. But there are people in those positions. And when those positions go away, what will happen to the people? Where will you be at when that decision has to be made? You notice the response of Jesus and the response of Judas. Judas was judgmental. Jesus was not. He was honoring of someone's contribution. I think as a leader, we have to really think, do we honor the contributions of people or are we judgmental towards the contribution of people? It looks fine, right? Doesn't it seem honorable for Jesus and Judas when you look at two of their responses? Jesus' response looks a little bit irresponsible, doesn't it? A year's worth of wages, woman is pouring it out on my feet, but then you've got Judas over here that could go to the poor. But that was just a cover. That was a cover for what was really going on inside, and what was really going on inside was bitterness, anger, and what was about to be was a betrayal. And we don't know where that came from. And then we see later on where Judas gets 30 pieces of silver. And those 30 pieces of silver, he trades for the Pharisees to betray Jesus. Now, 30 pieces of silver at that time in that context was about five weeks of money based upon a six-day working week. Now, in purchasing power in that time, it was about 20 bucks. So today, those same 30 pieces of silver were worth about $600. Now, $600 really isn't a lot of money, but let's weigh it this way. What is your salary worth for a month? One month. Now, would it ever be worth losing your relationships over that figure? Now, is gaining that salary for a month worth losing something that you enjoy? But what I think we need to do when we're evaluating our stories about money and as leaders is we have to weigh it through the eyes and through the lenses of what is the best thing for us that will help people, that will help maintain our relationships, our community, and our connections with people. Not our status. You see, when Judas realized what he had gained, the 30 pieces of silver, five weeks of money, and he realized that he had severed a relationship, he went out and killed himself. He had the money. He had the money. He lost the community. Because at that point, not only had he betrayed Jesus, but everybody else. His whole entire community, he had lost because of his 
greed. Because of his choice to pick money over community and over relationship. You can have both. If you do the math correctly, you can have both. Is it worth it? When you evaluate your decisions about money, responsibility, ask yourself these questions. Is gaining it worth what you can lose? Also, you have to think about a couple of things too. Judas ended his story. He killed himself. He quit. Now, we're not going to take it out to the point of when we do something wrong, we have to necessarily, it's over for us, we kill ourselves. But I want to look at it in the context of this. When you have done something wrong, your story's not over. You don't have to quit. You don't have to give up. What we know from the scriptures is that Judas was doomed to destruction, but we also know Jesus and his consistency of his character, if Judas would have gone back, Jesus would have forgiven him. That was Jesus's character. But Judas was so far gone, so hard-hearted, that he just killed himself. But our lesson to learn is that there were other, other apostles, all of them betrayed Jesus as well. Peter betrayed him. Before the rooster crowed, he denied who Jesus was, but Peter did not go and kill himself. He was shame. He felt the shame. He felt the embarrassment, probably like what Judas did. But Peter was able to get restored because he went and apologized. The story wasn't over for Peter. When we make mistakes in our workplace, in our careers, the story is not over. You go back. You start again. I failed many times in my career. I mean, I think about it. When I first becoming an educator, I had to take a math test to get fully credentialed. I've been teaching for six, seven years in front of kids, year after year after year. But I had this math anxiety. I had a math anxiety in high school. And I had a math anxiety in college. And I could not pass the math test for my teaching credential. I had to take it several times. It's even embarrassing to talk about it today. But I'm a school principal. I had to go back and I had to take it. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I just had to keep going back. And taking the math test was simply signing up and paying $75 and studying. But the shame, the guilt, the I'm feeling like I'm not enough that stirs around, that is what will make you want to quit. You see, they never stopped taking my money. They would have never said, go home, stop taking the test. That was always there. That option was always there. But what would make me quit? Well, what would make me quit would be my story inside my head. So in your careers, in your leaderships, number one, be a leader who is graceful and shows mercy when people make mistakes. Now, you've got to take these mistakes in context, obviously. You can't just, there has to be justice. But most of the time, employee mistakes don't rise to the level of, of jail. When they do rise to the level of jail, well, then you need to 
they need to go to jail. But what we're talking about in the context of our leadership, be about developing people. When they make mistakes, help them find a better path. Help them to get better. And you help people get better not with buzzwords, but by sitting down and working with people. My math test. There was no amount of buzzwords that was going to help me pass my math test. You know what helped me pass my math test? Somebody sending me problems, saying, work on these problems, send them back to me, I will correct them. That is how you help people move forward. So what is your money story? How are you evaluating your money story? I think for me, in my career, I've turned down, you know, high-paying careers or high-paying positions because I got to work at home. I get to walk my son to school. I get to volunteer at his school. So my money story revolved around my family. And I have enough. I, I just don't take any job. I, I take a job that would be able to afford me my home, my debt, and things that I need. But I have plans to make more, but the more is revolved around doing different work. My money story is around helping other people. My money story isn't solely about consumption. My money story is about obtaining it to help others invest, to help others see their dreams come true. And love of money being the root of all evil, I think, is when you want to obtain money at the expense of of other people. So for instance, betting against the market, shorting the market, knowing that somebody is going to lose their investment because of the motion that you've put in motion, the motion of betting against the market, doing things that don't help people but hurt them. Same positions, not people but then cutting jobs to build yourself a bigger office or cutting a budget simply to make your job look good. Board of directors tells you to cut salaries and cut the budget and you don't tell the board of directors or the board of directors can't figure out the reason why you're in this position. You're in this hole is because of the decisions that you made, not because of the decisions and the hard work of the people below you, but who, who, who is in trouble when you have those situations? When a CEO makes a budget that hires too many people, knowing that they don't have the income coming in, they hope it will come. Now, is that gambling? Or is that responsible budgeting? It's closer to gambling, I think. So why do you gamble with people? It is better to hire less people for the budget that you have rather than hire more people for the budget that you don't. And then they get laid off. And you call yourself a strong leader. Because you made the difficult decision to have to cut people. 
but you caused the problem. So why would you be rewarded for getting an organization into a budget crisis in the first place? Something to think about as a leader. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. Today is your day. This moment is a moment to reflect and to be aware. Put your feet on the ground and feel what is underneath you. Look up to the sky and say thank you. Look forward at your surroundings and be aware of all that you have. Now, move forward from that space. Go out today. Heal, contribute, laugh, and love. We are all here together. Be the best version of you that you can be. Walk the way you want to walk. Choose the projects that you want to do that connect with the highest version of you. And if we all do that, we'll make the world a better place.